So um, we're on Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And I can tell you, now I'm no prophet, um, but I can almost assure you that we will not finish Lord's Day 27 today. Not only because I started late, <laughs> which is usual, uh, but because of the topic uh, in particular, uh, namely uh, infant baptism, which would take some time. So uh, we'll anticipate finishing this up uh, hopefully next week. So if you, yes, if uh, you would open up to Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 27, which is on page 884. And we will uh, read these together. I'll ask the question and ask that you respond with the answer. Question 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No. All Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? God has good reasons for these words. To begin with, He wants to teach us that the life and spirit of Christ take away our sins, just as the water removes their from the body. But more importantly, He wants to assure us by this divine election Should infants also be baptized? Yes, infants or child adults are included in God's covenant and people, and they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit where we were saved. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from All right, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to this class today, as we uh, consider uh, the Heidelberg Catechism and the scripture that undergirds uh, those sound words, we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would guide us, Lord, that you would give us clear minds and clear thinking, and Lord, that you would uh, sanctify these things to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we can begin with question 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? Um, really, the, the question there is in regard to the power of the sacrament and whether or not the sacrament itself uh, holds some kind of power within it. Uh, some of the texts that we'll see as we look at this question uh, are texts like Matthew 3.11. Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, I baptize 
with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We have passages like we read a few weeks ago from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or another passage that we would see would be 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now I think uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism kind of zeroes in on the question that Heidelberg is asking here, and by the answer to the question, in some way shows us where we could go wrong with thinking about the sacrament of baptism. So Westminster Shorter Catechism question 91 asks, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? So where does the power come from? How do sacraments do what they're supposed to do? Um, The answer that Westminster gives is, the sacraments become effectual means of salvation not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his Holy Spirit in them that by faith receive them. Now, the Reformed are making a distinction here, a very, very important distinction when it comes to sacramental theology. See, in in Roman Catholic theology, the sacraments work a different way. They work... Ex opere operato. Anybody know what that means? By the work, right? By the work worked. Or by the working of the work itself. So, So the actual act of baptism carries within it the power that it signifies. So the, the, the sign and the thing signified, right? We've made the distinction there. There's the sign and the thing signified. In Roman Catholic theology, those things are indistinguishable. The sign carries with it the thing signified, so that in the sign being applied, so therein is the thing signified. Hence, baptismal regeneration, right? You've been washed, therefore, you've been washed, right? So the spiritual reality accompanies the sign immediately and inseparably. Um, This, and I'll I'll read this for a second because this comes directly from a Roman Catholic, so I'm not making these things up. Uh, So this ex opere operato, meaning by the work of the work, it refers to the fact that in Roman Catholic theology, the sacraments confer grace when the sign is validly effected. Not as a result of the activity on the part of, of the participant, but by the power and promise of God. When the priest does the work, grace is conferred immediately. When you go to a vending machine and you put the money in and you push the button, the Snickers bar comes out. That's maybe a a crude analogy, but that's that's, that's how it it works. Yeah. David. I understand you're saying that that's wrong. 
Yes. Yeah, tell me, uh, contrast that with, or explain how you, how, how would you explain then what happens when you take communion? Yes. So in the same way, communion does not collapse the sign and the thing signified. Right? And we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in a couple weeks more specifically. But you're, you're saying it is not conferring grace. Yes, we need to make sure that we're, we're recognizing that it isn't the act that is conferring grace. It is the Spirit working with the Word that confers grace according to God's appointed will in His appointed time. So, so you could see that in some ways... If we think about sacraments as ex opere operato and the working of the work, you're, you're essentially binding God, tying his hands to, if I do this, you have to confer grace at this moment, which is never the case. God is free to work with and apart from his intended means, but he does promise to bless those intended means, but not necessarily immediately in the moment that those things are conferred. Which is the same way that the Word works, right? The Word goes forth and does what the Word does according to the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God intends the Word to work, when He intends it to work, according to His perfect will. Okay. Not according to my will, when I say, I, want this, I speak this Word and I want it to do that work in somebody's heart now. Right? So to be clear, what if I have made Forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth. Forgive it. Correct me if I'm wrong here. So you would say then that unlike, say, the Reformed Baptist position, which would be that we take communion because we're commanded to, and it's a remembrance, you would still say something more is happening. But it's not the work itself. What you're saying is when we properly observe communion, then God does shed his grace on us in some special way. Yes. I think that's a good way to put it. Yes, because we're not saying, no, it's not a mere remembrance, right? There's something more to it. God promises to bless it in a special way. But nor are we treading over onto the Roman Catholic side when we're saying that these things are inseparable. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, David. That's really helpful. Yeah, Ben. It's not mechanical. Yes. God says in the Old Testament, circumcise the foreskins of your heart. Yeah, that's a good word, mechanical, right? It's the sacraments are not mechanical and automatic. Right? Not mechanical or automatic. So it's not, you put the cup under the dispenser, you push the button and it comes out. It's not mechanical and it doesn't necessarily happen. The blessing that's offered, the grace conferred through the sacrament, is not does not necessarily correspond in time to when that sacrament is administered. Okay? That's going to be important. That's an important point to think about when we start talking about baptism, too. John. In the first Peter 3 passage also, the verse before that says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that, that is eight persons were brought safely through the water, 
that baptism corresponds to this. Um, so Ham was in, was in the ark. Are you, okay, good. no, but that's, that's a good point to recognize because we all have to deal with that problem as we come and start talking about baptism, the fact that the sign is applied to those who don't necessarily receive what is signified in that sign. Everybody has to deal with it. It's part of the tares growing up with the wheat. It's part of what it means to be a church in this age. Yeah, Peter. Related to that, I think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He says, when Peter asks to have his hands and head also washed, you are clean, but not all of you. And here comes God as Christ says, states that because he knew who was going to betray him, Judas, he said, not all of you are clean. Yeah. So there's an idea that obviously beforehand, all of them probably had the same experience with Christ even being baptized by either John or Christ. Yeah. But not the fulfillment in terms of faith. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a really good point, Peter. Another question, yes. Talking about the wheat and the tares, yeah. um, is it safe to, I don't know, see baptism as a sign of judgment for those people who are not actually in members of the covenant, or is that a stretch? So, um, so we, don't in, we don't indiscriminately offer the sign of the covenant, right? There's stipulations for who receives it. It's believers and their children receive it. So for them who receive the sign, right, and who don't improve upon that sign is kind of the way that we talk about it. That is, the faith that that sign uh, uh, shows us, right, that that sign actually calls us to, for those who don't manifest that faith, it is a sign of being cut off, right? Just like circumcision was a sign of being co cut off if that circumcision was not uh, accompanied by faith in due time, right? And the same thing happens in baptism. You know, the, the baptized child who, do, who walks away from, right? They're, not, they're, they're actually walking away from something, Right, because they were. Now I'm getting into all the stuff that I'm going to get into later. But they're actually walking away from uh, the covenant community, the promises. They're walking away, and they forever know I was baptized. And to them, it's not a blessing to remember that baptism, but it is a a sign of curse to them. Right, and covenant signs always have those two sides. They always have a blessing side and a curse side. Does that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, is there another question? Lots of questions at the front end. I like this. Although I didn't think question 72 was going <laughs> to take quite this long. Maybe this is going to take a couple months. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Okay, so um, now... I don't think if you're here and you're not a practicing Roman Catholic that you're tempted to think of baptism, or the Lord's Supper for that matter, as mechanical and automatic. Right? But I think sometimes people have a hint of that in the way that they think about baptism. I, maybe, okay? Just think about 
um, people who might talk about the fact that they were baptized in the Jordan River. Like, maybe you have friends, maybe even you. And I'm going to try and pry you away from this a little bit. Um, somebody might say, oh, well, I was baptized in the Jordan. Or I went on a trip to Israel, and I'm going to be baptized in the Jordan, even though I've already been baptized. I was baptized when I was, you know, I, I was baptized when I was two months old, and then I was baptized again when I was 14, and then now I'm going on this trip to Israel, and I'm going to be baptized in the Jordan. Why? Right? There's that certain sense in which the, the way that that sign is done or, or where it's done has some power in itself beyond what's promised in that sign. Right? That may be some of the way that that can kind of creep in. Or, or what if you were baptized by somebody famous, like some pastor? Uh, you know, what, if, what if you had been baptized by Martin Lloyd-Jones? Right? Or, or what if... What if uh, Whatever it was. What if, you know, when you were a kid, you were in the 16th century and you were baptized by Calvin, right? Whoa, that's pretty awesome. But, but is that baptism more effective? Is, is, does it do anything more than the person that was just baptized here by me, right? No, right? What's important in baptism is it be administered rightly, right? Not by any virtue in it or in him that doth administer it, but only by the blessing of Christ worked by his spirit in them that receive it by faith. See, baptism... Oh, Kristen, go ahead. And on the opposite side of that, I've often heard David say that, you know, some That's a really good point, and that's really a historical point, too, because it, during the early church, in those early centuries when persecution was rampant, particularly under Nero and whatnot in the Roman Empire, you had increased pressure on pastors and bishops, right? Because they're the, they're the one, they're the holy man that's standing in, in the front, right? And so when persecution comes knocking at the door, there were a lot of cases in which ministers and bishops, they renounced Christ under pressure. So here's this minister who's, who's preaching the gospel to this congregation. The minister renounces the faith to, to save himself, but there's all these families in the church who don't have fathers anymore who don't have grandfathers, who, whose mothers were killed. How can, how can that guy that baptized me, that renounced his faith, what's my baptism? Where, what promise do I stand on? And like you're saying, Kristen, the promise stands because it's God's promise. It's not tied to that man. Yeah. I will confess it Yeah. And I, under, I understand the struggle that many folks have in that issue. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, and it it is. It is cuz there's there's something about there's something about your conscience in that manner, right? And I, I think generally churches are sensitive to those kinds of things, right? And, and I don't think I would be baptized now. Yeah. I would really understand it when I get now. Yeah. 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 Well, the pressure is put on you when you go to a uh, evangelical or Baptist church. Oh, you were baptized. Baptist. You, know, you, you gotta be done by immersion. You gotta be done. Yeah. No more springs. Yeah. That's Jen. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, um, Thirty years ago, when we came to this church, the session and the pastor here gave the option. Um, I've noticed that there, it, it depends, it depends, but, um, I think th there's a good number of churches that, yeah, the sessions would do that, would allow for a rebaptism in that way, but I'd want to distinguish that from, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now, yeah. Ben, did you have a question? I was just going to say, I think that I think in the OPC sessions, you can be very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. My father was baptized in the Presbyterian Church, but he was not a Christian. He was not a believer until college. He was rebaptized at his request in the Okay. Yeah. Marissa, yeah, go ahead. So, growing up, I always had these doubts, and then I would get assurance of my salvation again and again, and they would make me get rebaptized. So, I've been baptized three different times. Well, there you go. Yeah, but no, it, it, like, um, because it pointed to my faith and not the promise of God. Yeah. In that, really, I think you really get to something really important because God's promise doesn't change. It stays the same. Though we're changing and uh, at various different points in our lives have various degrees of faith or doubt, God's promise placed upon us never changes. Yeah. All right. So really all I want... <laughs> All I wanted, to, the only point I wanted to make with that question was <laughs> that baptism, the sign, um, is not the washing away of sin, the thing signified, right? That act is not that, and we need to be able to distinguish those things, which I think we have done over the course of the past couple of weeks, right? So, distinct, right? And so then that takes us to the next question, whose answer is going to be inseparable, but let me get to that. So, uh, the sign and thing signified in baptism are distinct. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism 
the water of rebirth and the washing away of sin. All right, let's think about the God-ordained symbol because that's the way that Heidelberg talks about it. So really, there's two reasons given here why the Holy Spirit calls baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins. And the first reason is, to begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. A God-ordained symbol. Uh, places like 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And Revelation 7, 13-14. Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In baptism, we need to understand that there is a God-ordained relationship between the saving reality represented in the symbol and that symbol that that reality represents. Baptism, we would say, is not just a picture. It is a specific kind of picture. It is a God-ordained picture of the saving work of God's Spirit, right? That just as, as much as. So there is a God-ordained symbolism that exists in the sacrament of baptism, which we've already talked about when we asked, well, what is baptism, right? But also, not only is it that symbol, but it is also an assurance, as Heidelberg goes on, right? But more importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. And so there's, a, there's a, a, an important sense in which the, the symbolism doesn't just stand to show us something, but is to assure us of something. A couple texts here. Uh, Acts 2.38 And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Important one here, Romans 6.3-4 Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, here's, here's, a, here's a, a, another important one. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So baptism there being shown as being tied to the spiritual reality. So as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay. (laughs) Any other questions? Okay. 
Da oh. Okay, David, go ahead. <laughs> well, if as many as has of you who have been baptized have put on Christ, to me that's a pretty powerful argument for credo baptism. Oh, yes. If you believe, be baptized, right? I'm not against credo baptism. Well, right. Of course, I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if, 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 if the language you there and in the previous verse that you read, yeah. it was very clear that the Holy Spirit is associated with baptism. In other words, that these are people who have received the Holy Spirit or received it with baptism. Yes, because, because the sign is showing forth the thing signified, right? Right, right. So, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't believe you're arguing that when we baptize an infant, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. No, because ex it's not ex opere operato, right? Right. It's, it's not, right? It's not mechanical and automatic. Okay. So, so here's this God-ordained symbol that's intended to picture for us the spiritual reality and also is intended to assure us of our salvation, right? It's an assurance. that Okay, Heidelberg says it's an assurance. Well, what, well but if it isn't a spiritual reality, why, why would you practice it if it's not a spiritual reality? It's a, a promise of God. That's given to everyone who is in the covenant. So if I believe in Christ, His righteousness comes to me. I live because of His righteousness. Amen. We live because of Christ. Amen. Yeah. That promise is given to us. We're talking to believers. I'm one hundred percent with you. Okay, okay, okay. Let's let's calm down. <laughs> let's everybody. Oh, let's turn it down a couple notches. No, <laughs> no, David, I love it. All right. All right. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. But, meh. Um, so here's this thing called baptism. And it's intended to be a sign. And, and it's intended to be an assurance of our salvation. Right? Marissa, this is really, this is really important. Because, because when you're talking about baptism... In some ways, your baptism and rebaptism were intended to be an assurance, right? We have other assurances too in evangelicalism, right? So, think about uh, think about the altar call, right? Have you ever heard anyone talk about their conversion and talk about it in terms of their altar call? When, right? But what does scripture tie? What, what picture, what symbol, right? Because that's a symbol, right? Walking the aisle, praying the prayer, signing the card, whatever it may be, is, is, a, is, a, is intended to be some type of spiritual act, right? Are those the things that scripture ties to conversion? Are those the symbols, the acts, that Scripture ties to conversion? What symbol does Scripture tie to conversion? Baptism. 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 Baptism.
Sarah. Baptism. Yes, baptism. We got it. Right? Baptism, the washing of water, the, the waters of regeneration, right? That's where, that's the symbol there. And baptism is intended to be the assurance. Now, is walking the aisle, like I walked the aisle, I, I'm going to say these things because I grew up in that world. So I have firsthand experience, right? Is walking the aisle during an altar call a biblical assurance? Sarah, go ahead. I don't think there's anything that we can do like, that gives assurance in that way. So I, I think no. I, mean, I, I was raised before Baptist, obviously, and my, my experience was very similar to the When you're doubting, look to your baptism as an assurance. Right? See, we don't do that, but we should do that. Right? We should be looking to God's promise placed upon us, right? Us, us being recipients of God's promise. Us being passively receiving God's promise that right now I'm believing it. And it it's true. And I can be assured of that. Right? Yeah. You look upon God's promise that was placed upon you and you say, that's an assurance. God's promises never fail. But Yeah, oh, of course not. When you are the adult baptism or not an infant baptism or regular baptism, this is what the Baptists argue about is that you need to be baptized to come. And it's more like, because we don't baptize somebody who denies Christ, we baptize somebody who. Um, accept Christ and already confess that they are the Yeah. So if the baptism is a sign of assurance, but at the same time you already accept it, you have already accepted it, you get baptized. So, sure. Um, argument is <laughs> yes, it's great to look back onto baptism to be assured, but. Sure. Sure. But but what what Heidelberg's intending here, and I, what, what I think scripture intends for us to do is not look to the moment of our decision as the assurance, but to look to to look to the symbol of God's promise of redemption placed upon us. And that that does something for us because we're not we're not relying on our own conjured up feelings of our sincerity at a particular moment. We're saying, Lord, I'm throwing myself upon your promise. 
as I'm doubting in this moment. Right? But that's only to a person who's baptized. Of course, because otherwise the baptism is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, yes, for now. For now. So I, do, I do think that there is a, there's a responsibility that's built into this theology as well, and that's teaching our kids what their baptism meant. Yeah. So in my case, it was very much an assurance, but also in, in, in growing up, I was taught, you're, you have been baptized. You know the truth. You need to know the Lord and um, God as your Savior. Jesus as your Savior. And I was held accountable to that at the same time. So yeah. I can, I can very, very plainly see in my spiritual history, in my history growing as a Christian or maybe even committing myself to Christ, that in my difficult late teen, early 20 times when I was not making decisions for Christ, I would lay or lie in my bed on a Friday night or a Saturday night and say, if I was baptized, if covenant theology is true, then I am not being faithful to God. Mm -hmm. So is it not true, or am I caught in sin? Yeah. And I was extremely convicted by the teaching that I was given as a child on my, uh, on my baptism. So I do think that it was assuring to me that I couldn't get away from the question. Yeah. I said, okay, I need to get me friends. <laughs> There's the answer. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, go ahead. Hey, would this be a fair analogy? Like, so God tells Noah to build the ark, and then Noah goes in, and then after they come out, God gives a rainbow as a sign of his promise not to flood the earth. But it'd be kind of odd if Noah went out and said, well, I, I made a choice. I went into that ark. But really, he's clinging to the, the rainbow that God gave him. Is that... Is that uh, yeah, I think that's really important because that's the image that we get in First Peter is the ark as standing symbolically for Christ, taking us through the waters. That's kind of where the waters come in and have any relevance. Where, where does water come from? Why, why water? For In the Old Covenant, it was circumcision. Well, there's a couple different waters in the Old Testament that play into why we would use water for our uh, New Covenant uh, sign of new covenant uh, initiation, essentially, right? Yeah. So yes, that those are good symbols to be thinking about, and good, uh, you know, redemptive history to be undergirding um, that. Right? It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. Oh man, we're already behind. <laughs> Well, at least I didn't get to—I didn't have to get to the question of infant baptism, so that can keep me up all night for the next week. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, well, that's the first thing about the historical part of it as well. Um, there were no 
So that's that whole covenant. Sure, sure, but right, right, right. So, but yeah. And then you got to start talking about, well, is John's baptism the same as Jesus's baptism? Is John's baptism corresponding to some type of uh, Israelite ritual? Or is it something new? Is Jesus's baptism? Without going into those questions, I think we get the command of Jesus to baptize. And we see in the apostles that baptism explicitly, clearly replaces circumcision as the sign of the covenant. And if that's the sign, we should expect in that first generation, right, that those coming out of Israel, though they had the initial sign of being, you know, Israelites, but they're going to have to have the sign of the Redeemer, right? And so we should expect those adults coming to Christ, hearing the gospel and believing, to receive that sign, right? But I think we also need to expect that their children, just like their grandchildren and grandchildren and grandchildren receive the sign of the old covenant, would likewise be distinguished from the world and receive the new covenant sign. And so that, we'll talk about that. We didn't even get to... <laughs> Didn't even get to question 74. But that's, that's going to be part of it. That's going to play into it. And that's, I'm glad that you're thinking in those directions even already before we get there because you're anticipating where these things are going. So that just means that this is logical and biblical and right. I say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But truly. Um, any other final questions now that we're 10 minutes over and we didn't get through all our stuff? So why not just keep going? Okay. Yeah. So um, just for clarification, um, if we're not saying that the act is efficacious, right? That we're putting in, then back to what you were saying earlier, I think. Um, then how would you word it if someone that is saved later in life and they're looking back at their infant baptism? How would you word it then? That Answer. That's just an evidence of God's promise standing. Okay. Right? They, they laid hold by the work of the Spirit in the washing of regeneration of the promise that was placed upon them. Right? Because so, we're, evidence of the promise being applied to them? Evidence of the thing signified. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that, I think. Again, the sign and the thing signified, it's not mechanical and automatic. Any other final questions? <laughs> I wish there was some like parliamentarian thing where you only get so many. Okay, go ahead. I'm kidding, David. I love it. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, okay. I can, so I can articulate what I think I hear you say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I think I well, is what I think I hear you say you baptize your infants because that is being obedient to the Lord. The baptism does not itself accomplish anything, but it's simply a symbol of the promise of God and how God works in salvation, a 
sign then which the child can look, be reminded of as they go through life that this is how God saves? Or is it more? There's more to it, though, because it's not just a mere symbol, right? Because it's, it's a sign and it's a seal, okay? So that, so that the recipient of baptism has claim to that promise. Not just that that, that that symbolism exists out there somewhere, but that that is theirs because God has placed his promise upon them and he, they have claim to that promise. Right? Yeah. So God has already ordained those he's going to pre-call. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, that question comes up, right? But we're trusting in God to make, to be faithful to his promises according to his will. Right? That, that child who doesn't improve upon their baptism doesn't nullify God's promise. But they've, ref, they've, 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 they've refused to taste of the grace that's been offered to them. Right? I mean, those are difficult things. So it's not, you know, we can't speak flippantly about that. Those are difficult things. Yeah, Kelly. Uh, I think it's just also important to think about that it's not just a sign for the baptized. It's, it's evidence of the faith to the parents. Yeah. So it's not... It's more about this heritage of faith and promise and instead of just what does this baptism mean to the person baptized? Yes. Yeah, they're, right. right. And, and we'll get into that next week as we talk about baptism as the covenant sign, not merely signs to individual for individual's sake. But there's a reason why baptisms are done within the congregation. Because it's a means of grace for all of us, right? It's a blessing to all of us. And as a person is baptized, the rest of us are also called to improve upon our baptism. To, to remember God's promise on us and lay claim to it even more and more assuredly, right? All right, I'm cutting it off. <laughs> I'm cutting it off. All right, thank you, everybody. That was, that was good. Even though we didn't get through everything, um, we got some good things accomplished today. I'll be able to sleep well tonight knowing that. <laughs> All right. Thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the promises uh, that you make are, that are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of spiritual life, of rebirth, of redemption that is uh, shown forth in baptism. And Lord, we thank, we thank you uh, even for this time to be able to think more uh, clearly and biblically 
about this particular sacrament that you've given to us, uh, that we would know surely that your promises stand. Lord, that you are faithful and that we can be assured of your grace. Lord, would you bless us for Christ's sake. Amen.